gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp, and Rachel Miller is my co-host. And before we get to today's topic, um, I wanted to offer just a, a little warning that this is a really sensitive um, subject that we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about infertility and infant loss, miscarriage. And so it, it might be something that's hard for some of our audience to hear and you know you might be in a place that you're not ready to listen to an episode like this and that's okay um, Rachel and I both know very personally that this can be a very difficult topic and um, it may not be something that you want to listen to in front of your children also so wanted to offer that before we dig into this episode so uh, some of you may know that October is National Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. And, you know, I was thinking, Rachel, this this week that this is a thing, that we have this, that we recognize this. And when you think about um, abortion and, and those sorts of things, when I was reading about it, uh, one of the things I read says... Um, during the entire month, we take time to honor and remember those who have lost a child during pregnancy or lost a child in infancy. And I love that it says that because um, the children that you and I both lost were our children. They, and it's one reason why it's, it's so difficult. Um, we're going to talk about infertility in just a minute, but I, we're actually going to start. Um, Rachel and I would like to share our own stories of, of what we've been through um, in losing children. And I'm going to let you start, Rachel, and, and tell uh, the story about your daughter. Sure. Uh, take a deep breath there. Um, <laughs> it, um, 
I'm glad you said that about about it honoring the children that we have lost because you know, that is a really important thing to remember that when we're talking about this is no matter when you miscarried or when you uh, lost your baby it no matter how small like the, the Horton here's a who and a person's a person no matter how small it, it's true you know no no matter how early it was no matter how far along you were um, that was your child and it's a good thing to remember um when my husband and I have been married almost 20 years now but when we were uh, fairly newly wed we were had been married just over a year when um actually just not just under a year when we first got pregnant and I was so excited I'd always wanted to be a wife and a mother and I was really excited that uh, I didn't seem to be struggling with infertility because of course that was a big worry for you know, most of us, will I be able to have children? Um, and so I got pregnant pretty easily, and I was so excited, and things were going okay. I was terribly sick, and yay, that's a good thing. And it came time for our big 20-week ultrasound. And of course, you know, back in the day, these were not, you know, 3D ultrasounds with great cool pictures, but we were all told to bring our VHS tape to record it so they could show, we could show it to others and, and we would find out, you know, the big news of the day is it's a boy or a girl. And before the, the appointment with the ultrasound, my um, OB set me down and she's like, okay, just so you know how this goes, you're going to go and have the ultrasound done. And, you know, they'll show you measurements and they can tell you if it's a boy or a girl, if the baby cooperates and, if, you know, if something is a little bit minor concern, um, you know, I'll, I'll talk to you about it at the next appointment. Um, she said, if anything is, is, is bad, uh, they won't let you leave. They'll, they'll have you stay and, uh, they'll call me and I'll come and we'll talk there. And being the warrior that I am, I was like, oh dear, that sounds awful. But I didn't worry too much about it. And we went and got prepared for our appointment and, you know, very excited. I can still remember what I was wearing that day. You know, it was just into maternity clothes. And um, so my husband met me and we met over to the ultrasound and the tech got started and she starts, you know, looking at things and starts doing some measurements. And, you know, I can, I can tell that she's looking a little bit concerned, but I hadn't had much experience with this, so I wasn't sure. And so she starts making a few more and a few more measurements and a few more concerned looks on her face and so it's just a second, and she steps out, and she brings someone back in, and the two of them turn the screen, never a good thing, and start talking some more and pointing out some things, and I got really worried, and I kind of looked at her, and I knew that she couldn't tell me what was going on, because the text can't, and they left the room, and before she left the room, she said, uh, I'll be back in just a minute, I'm going to go call your doctor. And I looked at my husband, and I started to cry. And I, uh, she said, I can go ahead and get changed. So I got dressed, and I remember sitting there. And this is the early day of cell phones. I sat there with my husband, and I called my parents, and I told my dad to pray because things were bad, and I didn't know what was going on yet. And then my doctor showed up. And she came and sat us down, and she said, um, what we can see is that your baby is terminal. She's not going to survive. And 
I said, well, what's going on? And she said, well, it looks like a condition called Turner syndrome. And it's one of just one of those things that happens. And about this point in the pregnancy, um, their circulatory systems turn, shut down and the baby dies. And she's alive right now, but she's not going to live much longer. And, you know, I was heartbroken. My husband is stunned, silent, and we're sitting there. And the doctor then says, and I would advise you to go ahead and terminate. And I looked at her and I said, I'm sorry? And she said, yes, I would advise you to go ahead and terminate. The baby's not, not going to survive. You shouldn't have to wait until she dies and, and carry her that way. And I said, you know, I, I don't think that that's what I want to do. And she said, well, I'll send you to a specialist and we can have them take another look and see what they think. And, and then we can talk about plans. And she left and the tech came back in. Uh, to kind of gather up her things. And the tech was in tears. Just, she didn't even know how to look at me. And I, I remember looking at her and, and comforting her as if to say, it's okay, I know. And I know you you hurt too. And I know you can't really talk to me about it. But I see you and I see that you hurt for me. And so we went home. And I promptly threw all of my maternity clothes in the closet, in the back of the closet, and put on regular clothes because I, I felt like I didn't, I hadn't earned the right to wear maternity clothes anymore. I had failed, right? My baby was dying. I couldn't do this. And, which of course, if anyone's listening to that and hears me say that, I don't think that was a good thought, but that was my thought at the time. And we went up to see the specialist a couple days later, and my husband was with me. My mom came, and the tech got started, and she said, the, there's no heartbeat. I'm so sorry. Your baby is gone. And at that moment, our world just changed. Excuse me. It's been, it'll be 18 years in March. And most of the time, it's not too hard, not too, too painful. But it is hard to talk about at times. And, um... They gave me some options. I could have, um, they could take the baby out um, surgically. Or uh, I could be induced and I could deliver. And I chose to deliver because I wanted a chance to hold my baby. Of course, my body wasn't ready for labor and it took a long time. It was a long process. And I was at the hospital for a couple of days before I delivered. Over a day, it was the second day that I delivered. The hospital was great. The nurse that took care of me in the first shift had had a similar loss, and she really was able to tell me a lot of what to expect. And finally, um, after a long labor, I was able to hold my baby girl, and she was tiny. And we all got to give her a kiss, and we all got to hold her. My parents were there too. And and then, you know, my dad is a pastor. He helped us plan the service and a, a funeral because in Texas, if you're after 20 weeks, um, you know, it's, it's not considered a, a miscarriage. It's considered a stillbirth, and you have to either have a cremation or a burial. Thankfully, like I said, my dad is a pastor, knew how to do all that, and uh, my daughter's buried next to my grandparents, uh, where my grandfather was then and my grandmother is now. So I get to go see her and put flowers out every year. Um, 
and our church was great. The elders came and prayed for us and prayed over us. The people came and brought meals. People were friendly and wonderful and helping me and helping us through it. But I I just remember, I remember being in the, the room ready to deliver, or they were getting me ready for delivery and thinking, this isn't right. This isn't where I'm supposed to be. I don't want to be here. And, you know, things they don't prepare you for, you know, your body has delivered and it thinks you have a baby. So my milk came in the day of the burial. And I stood in the shower and let the water hit me and my milk just came in and I cried and hurt. (sighs) And then I didn't know what to do with myself. I was home from work for a few days. Didn't know how to tell everybody what had happened. Didn't know what to say. People didn't know what to say to me. Um, And the crazy part of me just wanted to be pregnant again. I wanted to be pregnant. And not to go through the first part again. I just wanted to be pregnant at the same point again and have a baby. And (laughs) six months after our daughter, my daughter Bethann was born, um, was born still, I got pregnant again. And I have a very healthy, very wonderful son, um, who is my my firstborn now, um, Jonathan, my gift from God. And I'm very thankful for him and for my other boys. But I still miss my daughter. So my oldest son is Jonathan, a gift from God. And that's partly after my, my grandfather, but it's also because he is such a, a gift from what we went through. Um, for us, a few months into... Um, marriage, uh, found out I was pregnant, and I found out I was pregnant really early, uh, and figured that out later. I mean, I was sick really early, much more than with my other kids, and um, of course, I didn't know what would be normal for me, because this was my first pregnancy, but um, a little, um, several weeks after I found out I was pregnant, and on just be a little graphic I started bleeding you know I was having the symptoms of miscarriage and so I went into the doctor and things were very different this was uh, beginning of 1996 so like Rachel was talking about how ultrasounds were different back then they they were (laughs) they did not have as clear a picture as some of the ones you get today and so I had to go they didn't have ultrasounds in my doctor's offer you know, an ultrasound machine in my doctor's office. I had to go over to the hospital. I think a lot of doctors, a lot of OBGYNs have them in their office now. But I so had to schedule it and go over to the hospital. And the ultrasound technician, um, you could, I could tell by the look on her face uh, that something was very wrong. And uh, she showed us that the baby had died. And, you know, she was horribly sorry and, you know, very, very kind and sweet. I would see her again a month later. But she, you know, uh, I don't, I actually don't remember (laughs) if she's the one who told me or the doctor or how that all played out because it's been 24 years. But um, my doctor told me that I would need to go home and, you know, a lot of times uh, babies are lost in miscarriage. He, we actually had a Christian doctor who even prayed with us. <laughs> he was wonderful. I was so grateful for him. 
and and he would even share with us, you know, prayer requests and ask us to pray for his family. Anyway, so in I went home and I experienced all of I experienced physically losing a baby. Um, anyone who's been through miscarriage, I went through that, and um, but I still felt sick. I was still having morning sickness, and I was still having the pregnancy symptoms. And my doctor said, well, come in, let me check your hormones. And he did a blood test, and he said, this is really bizarre, because your pregnancy hormones have gone up. And he said, I'm sending you for another ultrasound so we can figure out what's going on. So I saw the same ultrasound technician, and she um, she put it on. And there was a baby with a strong heartbeat. And so what they um, figured is that um, Jonathan was the twin and was probably hiding behind the other baby or not visible. And I've spoken with ultrasound technicians back then who, um, you know, seen similar situations and so that's why he was such a a gift from God and we went through a month of just sorrow and you know I think Rachel I don't know if you went through this but I had a lot of thoughts like will I ever be able to carry a baby to term will I lose all my babies you know and went through a lot of those things absolutely Mm -hmm. um and I think when you go through miscarriage, I think that happens a lot. So um, I had Jonathan, and I had two more children, and um, got pregnant again. And um, so between my third and fourth sons, and uh, pregnancy was going really well. And I woke up one morning, and I knew something wasn't right. And so I called my doctor and they said okay come on in and um, the, I had a midwife and doctor that worked together and the midwife pulled me in right away for an ultrasound and there was a heart beating but it was beating very slowly and um, so we watched the baby die and that was that was very difficult um, so we went from a slow heartbeat to no heartbeat at all and I was, I don't know if I said I was 14 weeks when I, when I lost the baby. So uh, eventually my body went into very similar to what happens with labor. Um, I know at that point in time, people have different experiences, but I literally had contractions and I had to go to the hospital because um, I had some complications with it. Um, but I will say one of the things I'm so grateful for is our pastor was he he sat at the hospital with us, um, prayed with us. He um, wanted to do a little service for the baby. One of the things that I always think about that was such a huge blessing is that I, it was at a Catholic hospital. And when I came in, they gave me this packet about how my baby was a precious life. And they um, have some sort of policy. I don't know if it's at all Catholic hospitals, but this one said, um, you know, we don't throw away babies. And so we will, um, we can uh, bury your baby with um, other lost babies at the Catholic cemetery right here. Or um, 
you know, you can make arrangements. That really meant so much to me because that was my child. And the way I was treated was that I lost my child. And so that that really meant a lot. And one of the things Rachel and I are going to talk about a little bit later is ways that you can offer comfort. Um, it Because I think, and things not to say, because that was very difficult for me. Uh, one of the things that was very helpful for me was to be able to talk to a couple other women who understood, who'd been through something similar. Because uh, I, I felt very... alone and lonely and in talking to other women what a husband goes through when you lose a baby and what a wife goes through can be different um, because we're carrying the baby and so um, it can be helpful I mean my husband was amazing Um, he actually um, he, he actually took me away to the mountains for a few days and it was um, really just, I, I will always be grateful to him for that because it was just a, a, just to get away from the house and the phone and all of that, I think was helpful for me. And just to have a little bit of time to grieve, which is, I think, that I needed. Neither Rachel or I. Um, have been through infertilities specifically, but one of the things I did, and I think Rachel's also talked to you know people at different times who've struggled with infertility, but I talked to several women from our Facebook group that have struggled with infertility, and it was really interesting because so many of them said very similar things about their struggle, and I talked to them a lot about the church and things that have been helpful and things that they wish that maybe had been different um and so one of the things and i'm sure rachel you can speak to this with some of the topics we've talked about but they said one of the things that's been very difficult is sometimes in the church um when you hear things like you know the most important uh thing for women is being moms it's the highest calling for women and those sorts of things and here they're struggling with infertility that that becomes very difficult almost even even if they know intellectually that that isn't true they they feel like something's wrong with them or they're not able to acquire some aspect of the christian life when they're unable to conceive and i think you've heard some of this too haven't you rachel yeah i have um and and even in all the the kinds of losses, you know, you have women or, with loss and infertility. You have women feeling like you know their bodies have betrayed them, right? That we we can't do what we're supposed to do, and you know when that and while we have that feeling and that guilt naturally, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about some of that in a minute too. But when it's not helpful when our ch- church culture uh, unintentionally adds to that weight by making women feel lacking for not for not being mothers right that there's something somehow less than 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 female somehow less than useful in the church because because they aren't mothers yet or aren't able to be mothers and i think we really need to 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 look at how we can uh, comfort and encourage each other build each other up and be gentle 
with the women in our churches and the men too, because it you know infertility and and loss affects men too in different ways often, but it does them too, um, and in a way that doesn't make people feel like they're less than for not um, meeting some some standard that we've set for them. One of the things that all of these women said was um, they wished there had been a place for them to talk about it in the church, that it was hard to talk about. And sometimes if they weren't necessarily being open about their infertility, they said it was very difficult when people would, you know, when are you guys going to have kids? And here they say, you know, here we're trying to get pregnant, we're not able to, or we've had miscarriages. And people are saying these sorts of things. And it really was a reminder, we're going to talk later about what not to say, but to be careful about the sorts of things that we say. Uh, to people. Um, I talked to several women who experienced secondary infertility. Mm -hmm. And so, secondary infertility is when you've delivered a baby, but then experience infertility. And that is equally as difficult. Um, And so, they, a lot of people at church, so when are you going to have another baby? And, you know, and they said that the infertility was always on the forefront of their minds. You know, they thought about it all the time. And a lot of times people just said stuff that was difficult. Um, both with infertility and especially with early losses, there is a lot of um, like about whether or not we can talk about these things in church, whether we feel like we can. And there is a lot of kind of an, an, an older culture. It's not so much that way in in many churches now, but there's a, an older culture that you didn't talk about pregnancy until you, know, you reach a certain stage where it's considered, quote, safe to talk about the fact that you're pregnant uh, because you're less likely to lose a baby at that point. And you know, people will say, "Oh, you shouldn't talk about it yet." And, you know, and so there's these these hints that you get from people that it's kind of a, a taboo subject to talk about uh, the struggles with infertility, the struggles with with miscarriage and loss, early loss especially. And you know, the church should be the place that we can talk about these things. That we can go and be honest. Um, you know, looking back on it, it was a very short turnaround that I had between my first and my second, or between my loss and then my my oldest son. But at the time, you know, I didn't know if I was going to carry a baby to term. I didn't know if I was ever going to have one, a baby, and raise a child. And um, it was it was hard, and I was angry, and it was helpful to have other Christians to talk to and to say, tell them how I was feeling. And my husband was was a great support through that, and called me on it. Uh, my anger especially, uh, not to say that I shouldn't be angry, but to say that if I was angry, I should actually talk to God about it and not just try to act like everything was fine, because God knew. Um, and that was good advice. It helped me a lot. Um, but I think we should be much more open in the church and talk to each other about these struggles and about what's going on uh, so that we can comfort and encourage each other. Yeah, and I think um, when we had... Darby on the podcast, uh, she said something I thought was really good. Uh, she was talking about uh, when her mother died, and she said, sometimes in the church, it's almost as if we don't allow ourselves sometimes to grieve. Oh, God is sovereign. He has a better plan. And, and that's true. Those, those things are true. But it is okay to grieve. Yes. And you should. When you lose a child, no matter at what point, um, you should grieve. Yes, and even if you're grieving the loss of being able to have children, right? So if you're grieving 
you know, not you, you may not have miscarriage, but with infertility, if you're grieving your your chances of motherhood, that that too is a grief that we should be able to grieve and we should recognize. Um, you know, even you know, taking comfort from like even. When Jesus knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, he knew what was coming next. He knew that the, the suffering and the, the sorrow was going to end. He still wept, right? He grieved, and he grieved with the people who were grieving. And I think that's a, a picture of how we should be with these issues and with each other in our grief. Yeah, and I, I think that's actually really important um, that we do grieve with others, um, I think that's something that's been very helpful for me. So we're we're going to talk about some comfort in suffering. And one thing in my own study of Scripture, study of the verses on suffering, is that obviously Scripture talks about suffering in general, and a, a lot of things that that it offers us as comfort, things that are comforting from Scripture about suffering i mean they it can be it can be if you're struggling with infertility it can be if um you've lost a baby but it can also be uh any other sort of suffering that you may be going through if you've got a difficult marriage or financial struggles or you know any number of of things in life i often say that suffering and trials i mean you can have a bad day and that that can be a trial um, or you can have something long-term that you're going through. And Scripture has a surprising amount. When I went through and found everything I could in the Word of God that either was about suffering or offered comfort, there's actually quite a bit. And we're just going to talk about a little bit of it. And so one of the things that I think, um, whether you've gone through miscarriage or infertility, I think sometimes it's natural for us to think, what did I do wrong? to deserve this. Um, a lot of guilt. Yeah. Or you think maybe it's a punishment for something that you've done. And uh, I think John 9, 1 through 3 has been has been helpful for me in this. When uh, I'll, I'll just read it. As he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Which that right there points to our tendency towards this. Um, but Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but the works of God might be displayed in him. And so, uh, we live in a fallen world where our bodies don't always work correctly. And just because you're struggling with infertility or you lose a baby, that's not... A punishment for, you know, lying to your parents when you were six or, you know, those sorts of things. You know, and especially in our culture with how we view marriage, right? We can think that, you know, this, the things that happen in, in being able to carry and bear children are a punishment for, you know, sexual sins in the past or for, um, you know, various ways that we haven't honored God like we should. And I think it's important that we remember that, you know, God is not the angry judge waiting to strike us down, that He is our loving Savior, and He is merciful and compassionate, and He doesn't um, he, he doesn't punish us in the ways that, you know, we, we imagine that someone is going to do. We don't always know why things happen. And I think that right, 
right what you said there is so true. We, we don't have the answer. Um, we won't know uh, this side of, of heaven. I don't, I don't know what we'll know then either, but we, we won't know all of the reasons why um, those things happen. But for me, it was actually um, right before I lost the baby, um, my fourth child, we had been in a, a Heidelberg Catechism class, and I had just memorized Heidelberg Catechism question one, and it really was something that brought me comfort. I know we've said it before in this podcast, but I'm still going to read it. Well, I, I wrote it down in a different version, so I might get mixed the two up a little bit, but what is your only comfort in life and in death, that I with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and redeemed me from the power of the devil, and so preserves me, that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Yea, that all things must work together for my salvation. Wherefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. And I know that's a lot about our salvation, which we should find comfort in, but that's something that's been comforting for me. It is very comforting. And, and in fact, um, in the early days of our marriage, we, we said this one a lot at church, uh, and I remember us leaning on those words and that comfort through that time in our life. Yeah, it it is comforting knowing that I I am the Lord's. And also when you were talking about Jesus' love for us, um, you know, he he is full of loving kindness and and grace and he walks with us through our um through our suffering. We're just gonna um I put a few passages um, down. Second um, Corinthians one three through seven. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And it it goes on from there. But this verse I've thought about so much in um, just. In, because of what I've been through, I've been able to um, to talk with other gals that are going through the same thing. And I had women who had been through it before me that were able to offer me a very specific type of comfort um, because they understood yes. more what I was going through. Yeah, it, it's really interesting how much, you know, I, and then Colleen and I would agree on this, you know, we would not wish on anyone to have this kind of loss or this kind of suffering. I mean, we wouldn't wish it on anyone. But when you start talking about it, it, it's surprising the number of women who kind of come out of the woodwork and begin to share their stories with you. And you realize how many women that you know that that pregnancy and infant loss have affected. And it's it's so striking, the number of women. And it's encouraging in one way because it's a common struggle and we can, like it, the passage says, we can comfort each other as we've been comforted. And you know, it it has happened, just like what Colleen said for me, too, that I've had times where I've had a chance to then talk to someone else 
who's gone through what I've gone through. And, you know, once someone knows that that's what you've been through, then, you know, when someone hears of another story, they're like, oh, hey, go talk to Rachel because she knows she's been through this. And, um, you know, it's a blessing to be used that way to comfort others. Yeah, my um, best friend had a baby. Uh, it, it'll be almost a year in a couple of weeks. Um, and they... They had a similar situation to you, Rachel, where they found out that their baby would either be stillborn, and in their case, um, the condition that baby would either be stillborn or die shortly after birth. And of course, um, they actually had a Christian doctor specialist that they saw. They didn't realize at first he was, um, but he said, I have to tell you about the option for termination. And they said, no, 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 no. And he was like, okay, good. Um but and so they carried the baby to term and he lived uh, about 45 minutes their their baby did but afterwards uh, an older lady that went through almost the exact same thing that my friend went through uh, contacted my friend and they got together and that was just very comforting um, that conversation that she had with her so um, that's that's one way the Lord uses our sufferings and uh, Isaiah 43, 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Um, Psalm thirty four eighteen: the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and save the crushed in spirit. And that one was comforting for me, especially um, because I was brokenhearted, and I knew that the Lord was near and with me. That Isaiah passage, it's one of the the first RUF songs that I learned, and uh, it's, it's singing that one, and it, it stayed with me a lot. It's one of the things that I, I leaned on uh, was, was music, and that was one of the places I went for comfort, uh, that passage in particular. There's a, it's actually a, a Messianic Jew that has a, uh, most of his songs are the Psalms, mm. and so I knew several of those, and I had that same thing where there were certain psalms that I would hold on to as I went through it that I knew. And music, I found a lot of comfort in music. There was a, a passage that another woman pointed out to me at one point. She had also lost. She had a, her baby died in the womb. And um, in Isaiah 65, when it's giving a picture of the new heavens and the new earth, and in verse 19, it says, So no longer be heard in her a voice of weeping and a sound of crying. And verse 20, it says, No longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days. And it just really spoke to me that there is scripture that speaks about the loss of a baby. You know, and of course, historically, people used to lose children a lot more than we do now. But that, that, would, that, that would be a significant example of what won't be in the new heavens and the new earth is we have a God who cares for us, even in that. Another one of the passages that uh, I've gone back to a lot, and similarly, is in the Revelation 21, where it says that, um, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And then it says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell with them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will be no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. And 
I go back to this passage again and again and again. Um, the comfort and the, what we have to look forward to in the end of, of pain and, and sorrow. Yeah, that one also has been very comforting to me. We, we have a hope. Mm-hmm. Um, what, one of the things that has probably been one of the most comforting things to me um, was actually Psalm 13 that I knew um, in song. And one that um, has just, I've thought of, I can't even tell you how many times I've thought of through uh, the going through the miscarriage, but also just in general, some of the other suffering that I've been through. Well, let me just say a word about the Psalms of Lament, because that, I think that um, it's helpful for me to read some of those, to know I can cry out to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll just throw in uh, Christina Fox's book. I was going to say the um, same thing. A heart set, mm-hmm. yeah, heart set free, a journey to hope through the Psalms lament. When people ask me about books on suffering, that one is actually the one that I especially like. But um, Psalm 13, and I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but just because this is one example that um, has meant a lot to me. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And we know that God has not forgotten the psalmist or hidden his face. Um, But in the end, um, it says, But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has dealt kindly with me. And I love that so much because there are times when we might feel far from God or are struggling with how we're some of those emotions because you can when you go through a loss you can go through so many different emotions Mm. and some of what you may feel is not reality yes um and but in the end of the day we can go back and find comfort in who the lord is knowing that that he is full of loving kindness that he deals kindly with us that he has given us salvation and you know that's where you know, we, the hope that we have, like we've, like you said, um, the passage from First Thessalonians that says we don't grieve as those who have no hope, right? We, as Christians, we do have a hope. We know that the Lord is for us. We know that He is protecting us and caring for us. And we also know that as much as, as we love our children, even the ones that we've lost, God loves us even more as His children, and He will take care of us. And that is a great blessing and a great comfort. Yeah, that's something that I have actually found so much comfort in, exactly what you just said there, knowing that, I mean, there, there's no one on this earth that I have love for in the way I have for my own children. It, it's a very specific, um, we love them so deeply. And, um, and knowing that the Lord loves us in that way even more. Is, is very comforting. Well, we wanted to talk uh, a little bit about how we in the church can offer comfort to others, <laughs> but, um, but also we're going to talk a little bit about what not to say. So, the ver- I mean, it, basically going back to the verse that we said earlier from 2 Corinthians, um, that... Uh, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Um, that's what we're really talking about right here. But I think 
when I went through my miscarriage, there were some things said to me. Um, I think sometimes people feel like they have to say something. So I know that I know that people mean well, but this is something that's really important to me to say to people that um, be careful in the sorts of things you say. When I lost my baby after having three living children, things were said to me like, well, at least you have kids. Some people don't have any kids. And I'm sure the person meant well, but that that hurt. But this was my child, too, that I lost, you know. Um, or you can always have another one, you know, things like that are not helpful. And I know, Rachel, you have some a great list of things not to say. <laughs> and, and and truthfully, all of them are ones that were either said to me or to close friends. So we put together this list. But um, and and the the trouble with it is is while some of these may be true, the words come across as empty platitudes because there is no comfort in them. There's no no uh, there's no hope in them. It's just something to say. And so things like, well, it's for the best, right? Or, um, you know, God needed another angel, which the theological problems there are many. Uh, uh, again, like the you're young, you can have another baby. At least you know you can get pregnant. Uh, they're in a better place. True, but um, I'm not. I'm still hurting. Um it happened for right. it happened for a reason. Also true. Do you know what the reason is? Because I don't. Right. And well, I'm sure you'll have another one. And it, it's really and then my, the one that really, really bothered me was uh, people that said, "Well, it's better than having a child born with a disability because if my daughter had been born with a condition with Turner syndrome, she may have had some other. Uh, if she had lived, she may have had some other disabilities." And there was a woman who told me that um, she compared my loss to her child who was born with, um, or who had autism, which um, I, I felt more sad for her. I feel more sad for her now. At the time, I was pretty angry about the comments. but um, And I remember thinking to her, well, sure, you know, if you have a child that's born with particular disabilities, or if you have a child who has an accident and, and loses certain abilities, and you have to take care of them in a way that you didn't expect, there is a grieving of a loss of an expectation. And I understand that there is there is that. But I remember thinking to her that I would have given anything at that moment to hold my daughter, to watch her grow, to kiss her, to love her, right? And I still feel that way about it. I would, I would, I would take that, uh, that exchange, right? And it saddens me now that she couldn't see that she got to hold her son and love him and care for him. And I hope that she came to that point. She may have, but um, uh, yeah. So there were all sorts of things that people said that I would highly encourage you not to say. And there are some things that are that people say that are simply not biblical, like God won't give you more than you can handle <laughs> and stuff like that. It, it's not... And you look at, I don't have it in front of me, but there's a passage that talks about how they despaired to the point of death so that they may learn to to rely on the Lord. And sometimes we, we do have more than we can handle. Because it drives us to Him, yes. Yes, because it that's exactly it. It drives us to the Lord. It teaches us to rely on Him. And so, so we're just going to say, you don't have to say anything. Exactly. Um, it's the sorts of things that you should say are, I'm praying for you. I love you. Um, I'm so sorry. 
Yes, I'm so, so sorry. sorry. And and even just sitting quietly, crying with someone, listening, let, letting them talk and tell you whatever they want to say, those things, and I know Colleen has her own story on that too, those things mean the most. I had shared with Rachel a story of a friend of mine that um, delivered her baby and um, the baby had trouble right at birth and was in the the NICU and I just I came to the hospital and I just cried with her and she said that's what meant a lot to her and I know in my own life that's what's meant so much to me is to have a friend um, mourn with me and cry with me love me listen to me all the things that Rachel just said you know one thing that you can do is you can offer practical help um, can if, if someone's had a loss or is going through these things, you can offer to bring meals for the family. There's a lot of times there's a lot of planning and things going on and recovery um, that are just difficult. And if they have other children, they may need help with their with childcare. They may need, and honestly, they may just need someone to sit with them and listen. Like I said, that um, at some point they're going to need to talk about their child and. They need to know that you're you're there and you're willing to listen. Uh, some people think that you, know, you don't want to bring it up. You don't want to remind them. <laughs> Trust me, they think they're already thinking about it, right? That you're not reminding them of, of their pain or their loss, but you are acknowledging the loss and you're acknowledging the life of the child and the fact that they have good reason to grieve. Because you know, as we said, some people think that you should just move on and you shouldn't think about it, you shouldn't talk about it. But these are lives, and if we're going to hold up the value of of every life then we need to remember that the loss of a life, even from a very small life, is still significant and it hurts. And people are going to feel like, women especially, are going to feel like no one remembers their loss. Uh, and so it's important to, to to talk to them and talk to people and to check up on them regularly. So, you know, at significant anniversaries and uh, as time passes, because as more time goes by, the more people are going to feel like they've they've been forgotten and the, the loss didn't really matter or happen and it's something that we should be careful of. And when a woman goes through a miscarriage, one thing to remember is most of us are surrounded by babies <laughs> in this life and pregnant women. So there's, there's reminders everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's not something that we move on from. Um, you know, it, uh, I remember, remember even talking to my aunt, and she lost a baby, and it, and I think women struggle in different ways, but um, you know, she shared with me how uh, she was pregnant. She was pregnant with that baby that she lost at the same time that some of her friends were pregnant, and so it was always in front of her a reminder that she wasn't going to have a baby and hold her baby, and so it can it can be very difficult for quite a long time. Uh, when a woman goes through miscarriage. And I, I like those ideas. I shared a story before. Obviously, wasn't losing a baby, but it's just a story that still means a lot to me. Um, I had my appendix out, and I had complications with it, so I was in the hospital for several days. And um, when I came home from the hospital, there were two women from church that were doing my laundry and cooking meals to put in the freezer and watching my children and it it just meant so much to me that they were there in that way. Um, 
I would just also want to say that I would encourage you that if you have gone through one of these losses or you're going through this or you're, you're struggling with um, infertility and, and the pain and suffering of, of, of these things, um, to, to be gentle with yourself, to remember that um, things will how you feel about it will change over time. There'll be good days and there'll be bad days. There'll be times when the pain's very sharp and times when it's less so. Uh, and and not to be hard on yourself if you feel like as if you feel like I should be past this at this point right that it's okay to continue to grieve in ways and to remember um, and also not to compare and say oh well you know I I only lost I only had a miscarriage at an early stage so it's not the same as your loss that you had where you you carried and had a stillbirth all losses hurt and they hurt in very similar ways I mean there are differences but each of us have uh, have the right to the dignity of recognizing that those were real losses and that that pain is real. And I would add to that, too, is the way that you may grieve mm-hmm. may be different than someone else who went through the same thing. Yes. And that's okay. We're, we're different people with different personalities, and um, we, we, may gr- we grieve differently, and that's, that's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that you said that about not being hard on yourself. I know that a couple of the girls that I talked to that struggled with secondary infertility would feel a lot of guilt, mm. like, um, I shouldn't be struggling because I at least was able to have a baby. Right. But it's still it's still difficult. It's still painful. And, and it's okay to grieve. Um, there are some other resources that I'd recommend if you know someone who, especially if you're going through... Um, a stillbirth or a late loss where they'll deliver. Um, There are organizations that do um, like perinatal and uh, hospice care. So they help take care of you through the delivery process and um, help get you pictures and footprints and uh, mementos and things to help you uh, have something to hold on to. And I would, I'll find the name and get you a link for that, Colleen. But, um, and as well, I would encourage you to, to have some kind of, um, if not a, a memorial service, something, it's a way of remembering, right, whatever fits you and, and your family and your needs. But I'm every year we go and put flowers on my daughter's grave on her birthday, and it's, it's a way to remember. It's a way for my kids who've been born after her to have a connection as well with, with her, although you know, it, it makes them sad, too, to talk about it. But um yeah, you know, just I think it's important that we have ways to to recognize and to grieve and to comfort and to remember. Um, and like you said, everyone will 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 approach it differently. Uh, I had a, a friend; she's with the Lord now, but um, she before I had even met her, she had uh, lost a baby about the same um, time in the pregnancy that you did. And something that really stuck out to me is even though that was before. Um, her youngest son was born, and then they had a couple daughters. Is they talked about it as a family a lot. That just really stuck out to me. They talked about uh, their son that um, that they lost, mm-hmm. and I think I think that's good to do. We we do the same thing uh, with with our boys um, as as you do also. So 
Um, Rachel's written a few things also that I'm going to put in the episode notes. Um, I did learn about an organization. I don't know if it's national. I'm going to find out about it. I know that um, my friend Kim learned about it um, where they provide uh, Dopplers um, for people to have to be able to listen to the heartbeat. And I think that their main thing is to provide it for women who've had miscarriages. Mm. I was a horrible wreck (laughs) with my next pregnancy. Actually, all of them, but particularly with my with Jonathan, I was Mm -hmm. it was awful. Um, I think I had a different doctor and he was really good and very gentle about that and about my needs. Um, That's one thing I wanted to mention. It is so even though I had three living children, my pregnancy, my last pregnancy, I was a wreck the whole time, um, pretty much until I delivered him. And my my midwife at my doctor's office, she said to me when I got pregnant with Austin, she said, anytime you want to come in to hear the heartbeat, just call in. We'll get you in anytime. And that meant so much to me because you, you're always, um, at least for me, I was kind of always nervous and afraid. Because uh, Beth Ann... You know, it was 20 weeks was the first real ultrasound that I had with her. I mean, I had a few early things. I had bleeding with almost all but one of my pregnancies anyway. But um, I never saw her move. And she was so I was so early, I never really felt her move. And so with Jonathan, when, when I had an ultrasound, the, the midwife that I had at the time brought the little ultrasound machine in. I was about 13 weeks. And she's like, well, let's just get a look, see how he's doing. Right? So she... or. We didn't know it was a he then, but she put the ultrasound on to have me have to look at him and see his heart. And all of a sudden, he just started dancing and moving. And <laughs> I broke down in tears because it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. And I think I'll probably always oh, remember that, so that moment. Mm-hmm. And that child, <laughs> I never had to do kick counts. That baby moved constantly. All the time. Every time I even thought about it, it was like God was reminding me, this one's this one's good. <laughs> this is, he's here. He's still here. And he's he's with you. That's how my Jonathan was, <laughs> too. I used to just, um, he even had a, a knot in his cord. Oh. And I thought, I'm pretty sure he's doing gymnastics in there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he was a really calm baby, but in, in while well, I was pregnant, very, very active. <laughs> so <laughs> Yes. Well, um, I I do hope that this is helpful for some of you that have struggled, but also maybe you know somebody that's struggling with one of these things and just trying to figure out how to offer some comfort, and hopefully it'll be helpful in that way also. So thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you next week.